R.I.P. Guy Gagax. Guy Guy Gagax. Gagax. Gary Gagax. <laughs> what the fuck? Gary Gagax? Combatantive. Combat. S- combative. Scrabby. Scrabby do. There's no scrabby do. <laughs> <laughs> Although during the union protest, there was a scabby do. <laughs> Do you mean like a drum line or a, or? A... <laughs> I was, okay, wait. I, I was very much enjoying whatever that was. I was just doing the end of Star Wars. Okay. That's right, everybody. We here at Zero Credits are happy to announce ten thousand downloads. Woo! Woo! <laughs> 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 And welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name is Henry. And my name is Fame is Rapidly Going to My Head, John. And together we're Henry and Fame is Rapidly Going to My Head, John, coming right at you to celebrate a huge milestone in our podcast, which tackles the current happenings of that there zeitgeist in the show that where we talk about things i'm all over the place because i'm so dang excited john this is a cause for celebration indeed pop the champagne or whatever you have to drink um oh that goes down smooth (laughs) oh no what are you drinking i am drinking some wild basin boozy sparkling water um this happens to be blueberry mango flavor Nice. Are you trying to watch your calories, or are you just trying to get that summer vibe? Uh, I'm trying to drink on the podcast, and this is what I had in the house. Nice. Pragmatic. Uh, I, as usual, have a dumb thematic thing, for I am drinking New Belgium Voodoo Ranger Imperial IPA. That's right, Voodoo Ranger, the brewery imprint that is... uh, increasingly impossible to understand what it really means other than it is an ipa made by new belgium they have like 60 different kinds of voodoo rangers at this point i don't really yeah now voodoo ranger gets really confusing because for a while there they had commercials on hulu and nowhere in the commercial did it say new belgium it just said like voodoo ranger this special type of of ipa and so it was really confusing because I always remember Voodoo Ranger being the IPA that New Belgium made. But now it seems like that beer is now making other beers. So I I don't know how much we want to talk about like the beer zeitgeist, the beer geist, the beer ghost. 
but IPA is very popular right now, very hot. Not that did not used to be the case. IPAs famously derided for their uh, bitter, astringent kind of piney taste, and they started brewing other kinds of IPAs, particularly like uh, like hyper hazy New England IPAs. These like juicy, fruity, hazy guys. Yeah. And then that turned into a bunch of like dry hop, double dry hopped IPAs, hazy versus juicy IPAs, imperial IPAs, double dry hopped imperial IPAs. IPAs <laughs> are all over the place. And uh, the market is like hugely fragmented, but a ton of people are buying them right now. So most breweries are creating a ton of different IPAs to serve those market segments. And Voodoo Ranger is like the the most like widely known example of that. Okay. Well, all I have to add is that uh, during our for, foray into the, what I have now ademingly, affectionately called, called oh. <laughs> I'm so tired. Um, I lost my thought. I had one of your favorite beers during our Snyder Hole is what I was going to say. And uh, I I had uh, an electric jellyfish IPA. Uh, electric jellyfish by Pint House Brewing right here in Austin, Texas. And it was delicious. I have to say, I'm not an IPA guy, but this was such a smooth, juicy IPA that you didn't even really get that bitter, hoppy after aftertaste. So I just have to recommend anyone uh, if you can get electric jellyfish IPA by Pint House Brewing, do it. It's good. Yeah, I, I think that. Hazy IPAs really blew up because they introduced people to the world of hops can have flavor without like extreme bitter astringency, uh, particularly like the juicy hazy IPAs because they could just taste like drinking like beer, orange juice. Yeah, uh, which and, and those do tend to be my favorite. I mean, beer, orange juice is basically what like New Moon was and kind of Fat Tire was, you know, like a, a Belgian style ale that goes good with an orange peel. Yeah, now they've just incorporated the orange into it, and you get this uh, this very juicy concoction. Now, the reason why I said minus thematic and weird is we are actually starting to move into uh, – I like beer a lot. We're starting to move into spring, and we're moving, sadly, from the beers I enjoyed during the winter, your, uh, your Belgian Trappist ales and your stouts and your porters, into lighter fare. But not the lightness of summer, not the saisons and the session ales uh, or the sours or the gozes, but the spring ales, the imperial IPAs, the fruity yet piney IPAs. That's right. I am drinking a beer that proudly tastes a little bit like a pine tree. That's pretty cool. It's quite bitter, and also Imperial IPAs for their really interesting flavor profile are like phenomenally alcoholic. They're very high gravity. Uh, Belgian Trappist ales, for the most part, like a triple will beat it. But Imperial IPAs are like the second most alcoholic kind of beer you can buy on the mass market. So I'm going to take this easy. What, what are we talking here? Like 8.9, you know, 9.2? Like what, what, what are we talking? Typically, the entry point for an Imperial IPA is about eight and a half. These are sitting at 9%. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's pretty big. One of the first beers I got into was uh, Abita's Andy Gator, uh, which is a, a double bock, if you will. And you will, because that's what it is. And uh, it's famously like 8.9% alcohol by volume. And uh, that was the first beer I really liked. And so I, like one or two of those would just like floor me. 
So yeah, take it easy there. Yeah, Andy Gator in a in one's early drinking career is a real game changer because it's for a lot of people in the area of the South we grew up in, it's like their first introduction to a high ABV beer. Uh, so that you know, you drink two or three of those and your night's made. Oh, you're uh, just gone. Yeah, you're fading. Yeah. I unfortunately drank an entire one of these before we started recording, uh, just because I was enjoying the peace of being in my sound closet. <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to take it easy on the remaining one, and I've got a third for backup, but pray we don't get to that point. <laughs> well, I, I don't really have much planned for this episode. You know, we're, we're, we're crawling out of the Snyder hole. You know, the bright sun is shining down on us, and we're doing that thing that everybody does in, in TV shows and movies when they hit, you know they exit a dark, cavernous place. We're, we're putting our hands up to shield our eyes from the sun, and letting it kind of filter through our fingertips. Uh, we're, we're trying to re-enter the world. And uh, to that end, John, both of us are going through a huge change right now. Yeah, a very significant change that happened all of a sudden. I think both of us had been considering it uh, for a long time. And then as these things tend to do, they just happen all at once. Right. Uh, oh. Yeah. So... A couple. Uh, I, I'll I'll take the lead here, <laughs> or the leash, if you will. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Jamie and I decided it's time. She's back from her work trips. Uh, she's not going to have another one for quite a while. It's time to get a dog up in this house. We bought this house for the yard to have a dog. Let's do it. Let's get a dog. Dogs are great. And so we went through very famous Austin uh, Humane Society, uh, Austin Pets Alive. They're, they're a no-kill uh, shelter system here in Austin that are dedicated to turning the to, to maintaining uh, Austin as a, as a no-kill city. And uh, the only problem is it's COVID, John. Do, do you realize COVID is still happening? Oh, is that old thing? Yeah, it, it turns out it's still here. And uh, that really limits your ability to meet dogs. You can't go to the bars cruising for a dog. Uh-huh. Yeah, as we've all done multiple times. <laughs> you, can't, you just can't go to the local hangout spots and try to pick up a dog. It's, just, it's, not, it's not feasible. Yeah, no one it? on Barker is responding right now. You know, they want to text back and forth, but nobody wants to meet. So you got to schedule these appointments with these people, these foster people who are fostering dogs in their homes. And uh, there's no guarantee if you schedule an appointment with them that you're even going to ever meet the dog. They could get adopted from out for, from under you. Um, so we went ahead and scheduled like a bunch of meetings. I'm going to say three. And we ended up only meeting one dog. Um, her name is Deli now. And uh, we took her home, and she has completely changed my entire life. Uh, yes, I for for my part, we met Deli uh, the day after you guys got her. Maybe I think absolutely that's when it was. Yeah, and uh, she was a very very sweet dog, very mild mannered, uh, very calm sweet kind of the exact kind of dog we were looking for and you let us know that she in fact had a brother up for adoption uh felt like the universe was kind of giving us a hand you know that that feeling you get sometimes where you're like the universe is serving me something up and i need to at least investigate it 
Uh, so we went and saw her brother. He's just like a bigger version of her. Uh, just like super sweet, uh, like lat, like a retriever mix. But I don't know. Every day that passes, I don't know what's in these dogs. <laughs> the, the, so we were told uh, retriever, terrier, pitbull mix, which makes no sense because that's three different types of dogs. Yeah, what happened? Some kind of dog beast with six backs. <laughs> how 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 do you get three different types of dogs into two different types of dogs? Unless maybe there was a pit bull terrier mix or pit bull lab mix, and then one. I don't know. Let's not get into the weird petri dish that is their parentage. Yeah, from yeah. from my understanding, uh, and this might be a dog cast. I've got a lot of dog wisdom to share, but we adopted him. His name's Leo. Uh, he's just a bigger, stronger version of Deli. Uh, he's very sweet. Uh, I I think that I we were not ready for a dog, but sometimes life just gives you things, and you need to get ready for them pretty quickly. So we're adjusting, but I'm tired. He's a puppy, and he's rambunctious, yeah. and I'm used to sleeping through the night and having a cat that has its needs addressed maybe once a day. Uh, so it's a it's a big change. It's a huge, huge change because, you know, th these these puppies are three months old. So technically they can only like hold their bladders for about four hours. Well, that doesn't mm -hmm. get you through the night. Yeah, typically for us, these are slightly bigger dogs. I think they might be able to hold it a little bit longer. Uh, but it seems like they can. Uh, I typically put Leo down when we go to bed around 10 and then I'm up at around three to take him outside. And then I sleep the rest of the night until he whines again. Yeah. And uh, we, we just, so Deli will, will go like every other night sleeping all the way through versus waking up and crying to be let out. Um, so sometimes I get to sleep all the way to six when she, she keeps waking up. And sometimes it's, you know, wake up at two, take her out or, or Jamie will take her out. Uh, but I wake up because I can't sleep through anything. So yeah, it's just been a it's been a long it's been a long time since I've had like a full night's of s worth of sleep. It's I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, as of today, this will be a week for us, which it really feels like it fl it's flown by. It feels like it's maybe been a day or two. Um, but I'm used to being very well rested. Uh, but I don't know. I, I feel like maybe for me, I take a lot of comfort in routine, especially when it comes to times that I eat, the things that I eat, times that I sleep and the time I spend to sleep and having a dog and a large responsibility has fucked all of those things up. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, but the first few days we had deli, I, I forgot to eat lunch like for a week straight. And, and then, like, quickly warmed up some trash food and ate it, like, standing over the kitchen island, keeping my eyes on her to make sure she didn't get up into any trouble. Yeah, I mean, the the first few days, and, and we have a unique wrinkle in that we already have a cat, so we kind of have to do shift work with them. They're actually getting better, uh, but for the most part, Leo lives out of, like, one room and then spend, spends time in the living room. And I was watching him so closely... The second day, uh, my breakfast is kind of always the same thing. I take a lot of joy in preparing it. Uh, it's like oatmeal that I make with like boiling water. I put specific things in it. I have a protein shake. Uh, and then the second day, I like 
microwaved a bunch of oatmeal and then like cut up a protein bar and like mixed it into the oatmeal and ate just whatever I could get in my body so I could get back to taking care of this dog. I I also hand grind my own coffee every morning, which is a routine that I really enjoy. That's kind of out the window. Uh, so that's emotionally taxing. I realize now how superficial these problems seem, but I can't hand grind my coffee. It's it's crazy because we got this dog on a Friday, and we were so happy to have this dog, this this little girl named Deli, who we have now. And you know, we were very excited, and she was excited, and then like she passed out because she we played with her so much, and then the next day she like started crying at like 6 a.m. And that's when it kind of set in like, Oh, I now have this creature that fully depends on me for, for everything. She can't do anything for herself. And uh, that's just how it's going to be now. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's how it's, and it's going to be lesser than that. Eventually. I don't know. Uh, It levels off. It does level off. One of the best things that happened to me during this is I actually, during the first few days, talked to a dog trainer friend of mine uh, who's very good. She's in the New York Times. Uh, but uh, I, she, uh, she, um, she just like puts her arm in the paper or something. What? <laughs> She's in the New York Times. She like, she like opens the New York Times and like places her arm in the middle of the paper and she's like i'm in the new york times that's what she does uh but i I talked to her the first couple days and she's like hey listen uh you almost never see a dog running around doing the things a puppy does so like it's really hard to fuck up a dog they're very resilient uh just do your best be kind to them and you really can't go wrong i mean at the end of the day the biggest thing you have to worry about is do they have major behavioral problems and how many tricks do they know but other than that it's kind of out of your control yeah yeah i don't know delhi is starting to develop this this pattern of like if you ignore her when she wants something she will bark and uh i've started today because we 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 got a book that's like what start start right puppy Puppy start right. Puppy start right. Highly we recommended. Got, yeah, we got this book, and uh, it, it teaches you something I had no idea. Um, but any sort of re- interaction with a puppy is like social interaction. So if you if you if you interact with them after they do something, they they see that as positive social interaction. You're engaging them. So what I've what I've been doing today, and this, this seems silly, it seems absurd, but I, I hope it works. Uh, but when she barks at me, I stop what I'm doing. I stand up. I turn away from her and cross my arms because that that is not giving her any social interaction. So there's no no currency going her way for that behavior. And that's supposed to curb that behavior because she's not being rewarded for doing it. And I'm really interested to see if this works or not because it's it feels silly to turn your back to a dog, but they're social creatures, absolutely. Like it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the uh, I mean something that dog trainer friend kind of instilled in me is this idea that like there's this common belief that 
you talk to dogs and they can read perfectly what your tone of voice is. And that might be true. It might not. But like the biggest thing dogs want is for us to interact with them. So if they do something and we like scruff them or move them or yell at them, that's like negative in our eyes. But it's still kind of a win for the dog because they got something out of it. And like the biggest thing you can do is just not give them what they want. Like if you're playing with them with a toy and like try to yank it away, don't yank it back. Let go of it. Make it boring. Totally ignore them. And that's the worst punishment you can give a dog. Right. Right. And that can be hard to do because like if you're playing with them and they get real excited and they see your hand as a toy and they start biting it, you really want to go like, ow, or youch or something. But apparently that can just excite them and make them want to do it more because they got a rise out of you. They, they, they yeah. got an exchange out of that. Um, what you're supposed to do is calmly remove your hand and then just stop playing with them altogether. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, you're, 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 you're not giving them what they want, which is play. And so they're like, oh, maybe I should stop doing that. The problem is it's not instantaneous and you got to keep doing it. <laughs> Yeah, you got to do it. No one tells you this. You have to do this stuff dozens of times. So many times. I'm My voice, I don't know if you can hear it, uh, fams. My voice is tired from telling my dog that shoes aren't toys just just over and over again today. And here's the thing is they have a limited capacity for the amount that they can relearn in a day before they get frustrated and start to like – backslide so sometimes you have to repeat this stuff like two dozen times and then they show a little bit of improvement and then you just have to stop yeah uh we've been doing that we've been trying to teach leo down uh and he knows it a little uh he knew it a little and then we had to back off and now pretty consistently he'll do a down we usually have to have a treat but he'll do it okay and it's a nice feeling but like god it's really because the, the way that I grew up uh, living where I did in the sticks, whenever we had dogs, it was all like negative reinforcement, all this cried out stuff, all this stuff that's like now in the dog training community, like all the Caesar Milan stuff is, is totally out the window. They're like, don't treat dogs like that. They don't respond to it. They don't learn from it. Caesar Milan got famous because he's a shitty enough guy that a lot of dogs bite him on his show. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. But it's really frustrating to have an animal and be like, the only thing I can give you is redirection and positive reinforcement. And I can't tell you no, because there's no earthly way you will ever understand what no means. Right. Right. I, the crazy thing about Della, which it just shocks me. I say I called her Della. Thanks, Glass Cannon. <laughs> you can have multiple names. Yeah. Uh, I call the- my dog Gormley. <laughs> the crazy thing about Deli is like she came to us knowing sit. She just sits naturally. She just that's her natural resting position. Mm-hmm. So if we point down and say down, she just goes into a sit. Like and then that's consistent. We've never trained her to do that. And it's kind of like I've got this expectation expectation now. I was like, can't you just know everything without me having the yeah. <laughs> you came knowing this one thing. I would like you to know more things without me having to tell you them. I I get really frustrated because, like, I want Leo to fetch. Uh, 
And he'll fetch sometimes, but like sometimes he just takes the thing off and starts chewing on it. I'm like, I want you to be jazzed up about fetch so I can wear you out consistently. Right. And you and you don't get this, but it's really frustrating when you don't play fetch. <laughs> and that's another thing, like we never taught her how to fetch, but if we if we throw a ball out she will go get it, and if if we crouch down, she runs to us. Yeah, and so she kind of knows how to fetch. Like she's just like, uh, you know, I've never had a dog play fetch before, but now I have a dog who, at three months, has fetched with me. I I, I think the only concern I have is what our lives will look like once things return to like quote unquote normal. Uh, if we do like have to go back to offices or whatever. And I mean, for the most part, we'll have like two months notice since we live in like, since we work in like super white collar jobs, but I'm like, what am I going to do with this dog we have? How do people have dogs and are working professionals? Yeah. I I mean, for me, what I'm trying to do on top of this, (laughs) um, I got this new dog during this time where I'm also in the middle of a three week long interview process for a new job that would let me work from home Uh so that, so that, you know, I could be with my dog and like hopefully train her to do all the right things. Um, But also so that I never really have to deal with an office environment again, because I've just realized it's not for me. I like the office pay, but I don't like dealing with all the politics and, the jumping through hoops and having multiple supervisors who don't speak to each other and just unspoken expectations. I just don't want any, any of that. I'd rather just do everything through a Slack channel. <laughs> I mean, I I'm in a similar position currently, uh, but I guess now as of right now, it's been like four weeks, I guess in my interview process. That seems like hell. Yeah, it's a long time, and I still got another interview to go. That I uh, so I'm at the point where I submitted an assessment on Monday, and I'm waiting to hear back if I go on to the last interview. And uh, the waiting is just killing me. I'm currently sitting on. I had a pretty good interview after a technical assessment on Thursday, and I'm waiting to hear back. This interview process is bullshit. It is. Yeah, I don't like it. So it's funny because we're going through exactly kind of the same thing where it's like we're both interviewing for new potential new jobs. We both just got puppies. And it's it, – it's uh, I'm just tired. I'm just so tired. I've got nothing. I've had no time to like check the pulse on the cultural zeitgeist. Um, and we just spent two weeks – doing the Zack Schneider thing, which was great. And I loved it because I didn't have to pay attention to what was going on. And we already did all the prep work beforehand, but now it's just kind of like, when do I have time to do the things that I used to do in between being riddled with the thought, the, the most anxiety I've ever had because I'm trying to get a new job coupled with not sleeping. Cause I have a new puppy and also, I just got my first vaccine shot today. Uh, shout out to the Moderna mob. Uh, Pfizer gang. Yeah, Pfizer, John's Pfizer gang. I'm Moderna mob. Um, 
But it's just all of this is just, it's after a full year of nothing happening, it's all happening at the same time. Yeah, I really feel like uh you know those uh, those office clacker toys where like you lift one metal ball up and there's like ten metal balls and when they hit it the force travels through all of them and makes the one on the far end move. I believe it's called the Newton's Cradle. Yeah, Cruton's Natal. Uh, I feel like that started on March of last year. Yeah. And then it hit. And then all the other months have been the other balls in the Cruton's Natal. And then March of this year, it was like, oh, wait, everything is happening. Now, granted, a lot of uh, a lot of truly horrible stuff happened to me in 2020 and 2021. But like that, like it stuff happened, but it didn't like require immediate attention. Like everything that's happening right now is like life is life is backed up in the kitchen at serving me plates, whether I want them or not. The odors just keep coming in, you know? Yeah. The, just those tickets, man. Everybody wants the mahi mahi. Everyone wants that mahi mahi, which is the dish that it takes the longest time to prepare. And I, you're the only chef in the kitchen. Cause everybody's out sick or they're just skipped work. And you got a new puppy. Because <laughs> yeah, and also interviewing for an extreme white-collar job. The thing I was going to say about said white-collar job is uh, I think my concern that doesn't exactly mirror yours is that I would be working out of an office one or two days a week, which, again, an intense luxury compared to people who have had to work in per- in person, like client customer-facing roles through the entire pandemic, of which there are a lot of those people. So this is an extreme luxury that I can come to you and say, oh, woe is me. I have to work out of the office for one to two days a week. But what am I going to do with my freaking dog during those one or two days a week? Yeah. I mean, hopefully you would get to the point where your dog could be, I don't want to say confined or contained, but um, safe in his crate for, for those, those, those hours. Yeah, I'm perfectly okay with, like, since we have a cat, a lot of people are like, if your dog is, like, home alone, and you're okay with the room being this way, and you're confident they won't, like, lose bladder control, then you can just, like, set up a baby gate and have that room be their room while you're gone. Uh, okay. And I'm, I'm okay with doing that. Uh, by the way, baby gates, like, the baby gate technology, quick shout out to the baby gate industry. Uh, Babygate technology has uh, advanced by leaps and bounds over what it used to be. Babygates used to be these like cheap plastic or wooden like tension devices that you had to like install and uninstall every time you want to enter a room. Babygates have doors on them now. Some babygates have a door with a tinier door so cats and small dogs can go in and out. They go up way easier. They're semi-permanent. Babygates rule now. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so if if you're considering, like, secluding your dog in a room for any reason, highly recommend a baby gate. I was thinking we would go, like, the playpen route, where we we have, like, a confinement area. Um, Yeah, that uh, works as well. Yeah, so she can have her crate and have, like, a, a, you know, uh, an emergency kind of um, pet pad you know, waste area just for emergencies. 
but then some space where she can play with her toys and maybe her pillows out there too or whatever. Um, but that would be down the line after, you, you know, if I, if I had to go into the office for any reason or something like that. And even then, fortunate for me, my current office is so close, I would just come check up on her at lunch so that it would break up the day for her a little bit. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. It's a, this is concerns people would have when they have kids. And imagine if you have kids, you have to like take them to school and help with them homework and buy them all this stuff. This is an easy version of kids, but it's a lot of responsibility. I'm sure that there are people listening to this. They have 70 dogs. All of them have different disabilities. They can all, they can all <laughs> speak English and have different what? needs and their lives what are very is... hard. And I understand well, for, from where I am with my comfortable white collar job and my potential of needing to work in an office one or two days a week and my dog that doesn't speak English. I understand what you're saying. You're saying, John, we're calling for your death. And I hear you and I understand. Uh, but, you know, everyone's struggle is different. I'm confused. Are you are we calling for your death? They are calling for my death. Can I join them? Yeah, if you want to. All right, you have to have 70 them. dogs that speak English though. Oh, man, that's that seems like a lot of work. I don't know about all that. Um Yeah, if you want to call for my death, you have to have worse problems than I do. Fine. I don't think I do. I have the exact same problems as you. <laughs> True. Uh but I don't know. I think that for both of us, even I think that for the last few months, my life has been experiencing a period of like expansion or or blooming. Uh, my life is changing in a in a good direction. Uh, but I think that this dog is the first example of your life can change in a good direction, uh, but require you to onboard some pretty serious responsibilities. So get used to that. Uh, so, you know. Not the yeah. worst thing in the world. I love Leo. He's very sweet, even though for the first day or two I had, like, post-dogum depression. No, I, I hear you. Um, I, I also had similar post-dogum depression um, just when I realized that this was – the sleep, not the sleepless nights, but the interrupted sleep was going to be a thing going forward, at least until she got old enough to, to just go through the entire night um, until my alarm goes off because – uh, that's a huge change. You know, sleep is such a big part of who we are and we all have different ways we like sleeping. And for the most part, we don't, uh, there's not a lot of people out there who like their sleep interrupted at any point. I think yeah. there might be like a, there could be a society out there of people who are like into that, you know, like yeah, that's their thing. There's a, there's a, there's a fetish. It's yeah, uh, a the sleep disruption fetish SDF. Yeah, yeah, and that's their whole thing, and they they travel in their circles of sleep disruptors, and uh, they trade tips and stuff, and that you know they live their lives, um, and they're pretty cool. They're all pretty cool about it. They you know they don't force it on anyone else. They understand that their lifestyle is abnormal and strange and weird, and uh, no one should ever describe it as such, but it really is because uh, never wake me up. <laughs> yeah, they're, for what it's worth, I, I've I've I haven't run in SDF circles, but I've been around a lot of SDFers, uh, sediffers as they're called. Very tired. They're very tired. 
They seem satisfied. They seem satisfied, but damn, they are tired. It's one of those things that really could exist and like people really could have that become part of their identity. Because if you're just tired all the time, you can't help but be that. Like, yeah, yeah, that that would be crazy. It would be crazy and uh, deviant and disgusting and and, and nothing. <laughs> these are not words we would use to describe, no, and nor should no. you ever describe uh, someone's uh, someone's proclivities in, in such a way. But it would be odious, uh, yeah, mellifluous, maleficent. Um, some might say amoral. Some might say amoral. Some might say of the devil. Certainly, the uh, the Catholic Church would not approve. No, certainly not. But what do they approve of anyway? Right, uh, right. They are so tired, though. I they really feel very, bad for them. Very tired. To circle back, the point I was going to make for all the complaining that we're doing, um, at the end of the day, we get a dog, and that is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I keep trying to go back to this when I feel sad about the responsibilities of dog or in the first like two days where like me and Allison have made decisions. I feel like for the past four years of our lives, we're like, there's this background hum of what if we get a dog? So like we got this house cause there's a big backyard. Cause you know, what if we get a dog? Uh, and now that we have a dog for the first two days, I'm like, why don't I love this thing already? Why do I feel this like intense responsibility and burden? Why am I sad about it? I try to remind myself, I did this to the dog, and the the thing I'm getting out of it is a dog, which is man one of mankind's best inventions. Right. The domestication of the dog is one of the better things we've ever done. Yeah, like when you get a dog, not to like poo-poo people who aren't dog people, I quite like dogs, but dogs kind of like fit in the human puzzle really easily we've been using them for a long time uh so much so that they're domesticated to like read our moods and be helpful to us how fucked up is that it's very very fucked up yeah i look at my cat in the eyes and you know what happens when you look a cat in the eyes nothing you're equals reading each other you're both gonna do your own thing uh you the cat really doesn't care about you even though it is possibly more intelligent than a dog uh but it has no respect for you you look at a dog and the dog's eyes say what's gonna happen to me <laughs> you look a dog in the eyes and the ears go back and they're like we you're looking at me what do you what do you want what do you i want <laughs> when a dog looks at you it's like what does the world hold in store for me papa <laughs> am i gonna be an astronaut <laughs> It's uh, the worst feeling in the world when you're someone who does not know what the answer to that question is for yourself. Right, absolutely. And that that really connects to going through this whole – these interview processes where people ask you questions like, well, what do you want to do? Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, I don't know, not hate my job? I, I do try to be honest. In in this most recent interview, the question came up, which is like, why are you – you know, your job seems fulfilling and you seem qualified and you seem that you it looks like you put a lot of work into getting where you are. So, like, why are you looking for a new job? And I struggle, you know, in interviews, it's always like a certain dance of lying to a certain degree. 
but it's tough to not just be like, this seems more fun than my current job, which is kind of a drag. Yeah. This seems like it uh, pays better and is less boring than my work. So give me this. (laughs) Um, I answered a very similar question by saying like, well, I'm just looking for a new interesting experience. Like I know what it's like to work at a stable company who has been in business for 20 years, but you guys are a startup and I want that experience of not knowing, you know, or, or having a more direct hand with helping out and, and determining success or failure. And they seem to really like that answer. So whatever. Yeah. I mean, I did the same thing with my startup. I'm like, I just like working for a dynamic company where the future is unwritten. And they uh, seemingly ate that up. These are, these are tips. Now in your interview, just to give you a little, a little interview behind the curtain thing from being in interviews myself, did they ask you if you're interviewing with other companies? No, no one has asked me that ever in my entire life. Okay. Uh, I've gotten that a couple times, but if they ask you if you're interviewing for other companies, that's typically a buy signal, uh, which means they're like either in a hiring surge or they're like trying to fill the position. Uh, basically what they're asking is how hard they should hustle on getting you in the door. Uh, and if it's a startup, maybe they don't have that practice. But in, in the most recent interview I had with this company, they asked that a couple times and, you know. You try to be vague, but you try to imply that they should get back to you as soon as they can, but they haven't gotten back to me yet. So so you would want to give the implication that you are interviewing with other companies so that they need to kind of move to get us, you know, put put a fire under under them a little bit to get back to you. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So it, it all trickles down to the recruiters. Typically, they people will ask you if you're interviewing anywhere else because if they're sending a buy signal and they're afraid of losing you, they will imply to the recruiter they should get back to you soon. Because if now you're actively s- interviewing with other places, then the chances are that you might take an offer before they right. can give you an offer. Now, when you say buy signal, is that B-U-Y? B-Y? Yes. Or B-Y? Okay. <laughs> yeah. It is a B-I signal? Yeah. They're they're <laughs> They're interested, in other words. <laughs> yes, they're they are definitely <laughs> they're curious. Yeah, they're they're it's a curiosity signal. Uh, but no, it's a it's a buy signal because they're like, yo, we want to buy this guy. <laughs> we want to give him money to work for us. Yeah, no, I've never had that question asked to me before. It's only been asked to me in like two interviews, but I've uh, I've interviewed people where. Uh, like hiring managers will explain that to me later when they when they've asked it, and I'm like, hey. That seems weird and invasive that you asked why they were, if they were interviewing anywhere else. And then they explained it to me. So it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just want this job. A lot of places seem to be very laissez faire about hiring and the interview process. Like um, a previous uh, interview process I went through lasted about two months, and the end result was a no. And uh, that fucking broke me. I just, I can't deal with this. Maybe I'm spoiled because in my current position, I got like two interviews, a phone screen, and then like one like cross-functional interview. And then I got it. Great. Perfect. Uh, But my role sucked uh, at this company. So maybe it wasn't perfect. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the job I have now, I had a phone interview an in-person interview and then I was hired. Yeah. 
That was, and I was uh, like, oh wow, that's that's it. No skill assessment, no none, none of that. And, you know, no, I didn't have to jump through many hoops. That's pretty cool. Um, and then boom, I was in. And then it turned out that the the job was horrible. I'm still there to this day, and I hate it. And every day, I just want to like just send out my my letter of resignation via text. Um, so yeah, maybe the easier the process, the worse the place. Who knows? I mean, it might be. My old job was terrible. But I mean, at this point, I'm three interviews and a technical assessment into this job. So I'm like, if you guys say no, I don't know that I'll have it in me to keep going. I know. This has been emotionally very grueling. And like, the only reason, if I were to give advice to anyone, the only reason why I have this interview is because I knew someone who moved to this company. And... The only luck I've ever had with jobs is reaching out to people who have, like, worked for companies. I really, at this point, don't feel like sending out your resume does anything. And to counter that, um, (laughs) uh, the the company that I'm interviewing with, I know nobody at, and I just sent them a resume with an application, and then I waited I want to say a month before they actually got back to me, but now I'm two inter- interviews and a writing sample deep into a, an interview process from basically just a cold application. So I, I, it's really just, it comes down to luck. I would, it really does come down to luck. I mean, if you look at the numbers of people who submit applications to jobs on average, about 2% of people get an interview out of that. So I'm like, If you play the game and you beat the 98% odds that no one will contact you, boom, foot's in the door. But like, I don't know, man, how many times can you do that? I I shouldn't be defeated. I have no idea where I am in the interview. I mean, I have no idea whether they're going to say yes or no based off of this interview. And then if they don't, I'm going to jump right back in. Right. Do you ever ask, like, how many people are you guys talking to about this role? Yeah, I asked that in the first one, and it seemed like they were talking to... It's interesting because it's a new team, and they're trying to fill, like, ten positions. Okay, that is that is quite interesting. So they're they're interviewing quite a few people. Uh, Probably, yeah, more so than if there was just one position. They're probably, you know, that that's an expansive search. Yeah, and but they're also in a massive hiring surge. Like, they're increasing the company size by a third, so... Hopefully I squeak in there and then I can have a fun downtown time. They get that series a investment. I think so. Yeah. I I mean, if they're, if they're growing their company by a third, then yeah, they probably got some major investors back in them. Yeah, no, they're, uh, they're worth a few hundreds. They're, they're worth quite a few hundred million dollars at this point. Um, but yeah, they've like, They've increased the size of the company by a third for the last, like, three years. Wow. Uh, and so they have this, like, crazy, massive hiring surge every year. And I hope I squeak in there. Really, really yeah. hope so. I, it's really crazy how much of in the same boat we are. Like, if if we if this was after the Titanic, it would be, like, shivering cold and, uh, you know, clinging the blankets. But then, like, when we get a little bit warmer, I'd be like, John? John, is that you made it? <laughs> and then I'd say Henry, and then you'd realize that I was uh, I was in steerage, and then you wouldn't associate with me. 
Yeah, I'd be like, oh, you're from the lower class. <laughs> and then I didn't like, realize the hoi polloi was being saved. <laughs> and then I'd say, I had sex in an old car. <laughs> Not my 48 Studebaker. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much how it would go. And then I would be pushed off the boat. I would freeze 84 years later. You'd throw a jewel into the ocean. Let me tell you, <laughs> I've never seen Titanic. Don't. The best part about Titanic, and this is uh, not a lie, is Billy Zane. Billy Zane's great. He's like the villain. If Titanic could have a villain. I feel like Billy Zane was in the movie Demon Knight. He might have been. Billy Zane has been in a lot of movies. Not all of them the Titanic worthy. Yeah, he was in the 1995 film Tales from the Crypt Presents Demon Knight. He was a horny demon cowboy. They were Tales from the Crypt movies with like the Crypt Creeper and everything? Yeah, I think they were made for TV. Okay, that, that would make sense. Because I remember Crypt Keeper being on TV. Yeah, it's, uh, let's see... Tales from the Crypt presents Demonize, a 1995 American horror comedy film directed by Ernest Dickerson. Uh, Did it release in theaters? Oh, yeah, it did. Box office of $21 million. Not great. Okay, so that's a movie movie. Yeah, looks like it was a movie movie. I don't know if uh, Tales from the Crypt... Ever. Yeah, it looks like uh, this was... Wait, the film was followed by Tales from the Crypt Presents Bordello of Blood. (laughs) That is a fantastic name. I feel like I actually also saw Bordello of Blood. Uh, Bordello of Blood did significantly worse at the box office. I wonder why. When did they make the TV show? Tales from the Crypt must have been 1992 to 1996. Yeah, that sounds about right. Hold on, I might be totally wrong. This is just us Googling things. Wow. (laughs) I nailed the ending. 1996 is when it ended. It actually started, oh, on my, oh, well, I can't say that. It's my birth year, 1989. Cool. Yeah, cannot tell you the proximity (laughs) to my birthday. I think people put it together. Now they might be able to look it up. But uh, damn it! Now they know all my security questions. <laughs> my security TV questions show? are: What is my birthday? <laughs> and which TV show aired <laughs> near my birthday? Which <laughs> your security question is: Which Tales from the Crypt presents movie was Billy Zane in? <laughs> yeah, they're all Tales from the Crypt adjacent. Yeah, because your dad was the Crypt Creeper. I keep saying Creeper. He was the Kipped Creeper. The Kipped Keeper. Oh, no. That sounds (laughs) like Kid Keeper. Oh, Oh, no, it's the Kid Keeper. What are we talking about, Henry? Shit. Hell, yeah. We got dogs. We're trying to get new jobs. uh, (laughs) Dogs and jobs. (laughs) None of us us are sleeping. Um... I don't know about you, man, but like during this whole job interview process and lack of sleep, sleep interruption, like my anxiety has just been through the fucking roof in a way that it's never been before. I uh, agree. So this isn't something we'll get into on the podcast, but I actually have like some 
pretty tough uh, life stuff happening in addition to everything else. And okay. I don't, I can't really remember a time where I felt worse for a sustained period of time. Just because so many things are requiring my weird, nervous, anxious attention. It's really, truly unpleasant. Today was especially bad. I, I actually had this kind of uh, like parabolic arc where like the day after we got the dog, I was really in the dumps because a lot of stuff was happening at once. I had this interview coming up and then I started to like pull out of it. Uh, today, I just felt so bad. Like I didn't sleep and I was so anxious about this job and everything. Tomorrow would be better, but it's it's rough. I feel real yeah. bad. No, I, I got – so to recap just a little bit, I thought I, – I walked away from that first interview thinking I had nailed it. I was on cloud nine. Like never before in my life have I felt good after an interview. Um, I walked away from my second interview thinking I had completely fucking ruined it. And, uh, it, you know, I, I, I don't – just I botched the entire thing. And uh, I, I got the news the same day as that inter- interview that I was going on to the assessment round. And I saw that email and I read it and I immediately like went to the bathroom and just dry heaved. Yeah. And for the first time in my life, I've never done that before, but it was just like a, a just an apex of like anxiety and like worry and stress and, and non-sleep and just feeling terrible and feeling sick, feeling clammy all day. Like I was buried under like blankets. I took my temperature. I thought I might've had a fever or like I finally got COVID, but I got that email. It's like, Hey, we want you to, to, you know, respond to one of these two prompts and send it in by Monday. And like, I absorbed that information. I was like, all right, cool, fine. Yeah, good. I'm in. And then I, I just, something hit me and I was just like, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> Yeah. The, uh, the day after my interview, uh, and I feel like this interview went well, I don't have any regrets. It was just harder to read the interviewer, but that happens. Uh, the night after that interview, uh, dealing with dog stuff, dealing with like weird trauma stuff that I'm working through, plus dealing with interview, I woke up and despite like having the same number of blankets and setting the thermostat to what I always do to sleep. I had like sweated through all of my blankets and sweated through my pillow and I, I moved and you know, that feeling when you move from sleep and you realize that you've been in the exact same position and you haven't gone through the like normal, like tossy turnies of, of being asleep for some reason, whatever kind of sleep I was having was the worst kind of sleep on earth. I, I woke up and I felt nauseous and like it was going to throw up and my head hurt and my eyes hurt. and It was just awful. Yeah. It, it, it's crazy because we live in a society, haha, Joker laugh, um, where it, it's very easy to look at just... <laughs> We live in this weird cultural climate where there's an easy joke to be made about like, oh yeah, you know, white straight males, you know, they never, they've never worried a day in their life that they're, they're not, that like they shouldn't be where they're, where they are. Like they, they don't have imposter syndrome and stuff like that. And like my experience anecdotally has just been the complete fucking opposite of that, that cultural climate joke. Like 
I went through grad school thinking I didn't belong there. And like, anytime I am remotely successful, it's like, this is a fucking fluke. They're going to find me out. I'm conning my way to success. They're going to know it. And like this whole interview process is just like, kind of like you said, there's a certain balancing act of lying. And it's kind of like, I also got to lie to myself because I'm going after a super active, super like I got to be productive job. And I'm kind of lying to myself a little bit that I can do it. I know given time I can grow into the role, but I got to stare somebody over a fucking Google Hangout <laughs> like video call and tell them to their face that I can do it now. And that just fills me with so much dread because it's like I'm not lying, but I'm not telling the truth because I don't fucking know. Yeah, we we never know. And also for what it's worth, interviewers lie to us all the time. It's It's a very strange like – performative like white collar kabuki we have to do and as far as like uh white straight people never having to worry and and that being like a like a fun thing to to say i I think that that kind of undercuts what i believe to be like a fundamental philosophical truth about the world which is everyone's just about as miserable i think that there's this kind of through line of happiness that is true for everyone and I think that that can go up and down a little bit. Money typically very much does tend to help. Uh, but we all are pretty miserable. But some people, uh, through the acts of, of the market and capitalism and, and like exogenous forces of oppression, have much more reasonable reasons to, to be anxious and depressed and sad and dry heave. Uh, but that doesn't mean we don't do it. Uh, but, right. but certainly some people have much better reasons to do it than, ah, what if I don't get the job that pays me a lot more and then I get to work downtown? Well, when you say it like that, yeah, no, it, it's, it's very much like it's, it, even what I'm doing there is like playing into the cultural trope of being like, we should discount our own experiences, which isn't true. Uh, discounting your own experiences is a very bad thing to do. Yeah. I think what we should do is like internalize our experiences, but also be inclusive to other people. Like when they tell us, Hey, I legitimately have a harder time in life than you do. Uh, and then say, that's actually probably true. Uh, what can we do to make that not be the case? Okay. Well, who's going to help me? Um, (laughs) probably not a lot of people. Uh, That's not what I want to (laughs) hear. Probably not a lot, should... because the because the thing is, even when people are like brought up to a point where everyone is perfectly equal, we'll still be miserable. We'll just have less good reasons for being miserable. You're schooling me on things that I should rightfully be schooled on, and I'm hearing what you're saying, and I acknowledge that there is absolutely so much truth within it. I guess it's just a selfish part of me that's like, but I'm also going through struggles and now I'm going to do the weird thing where I belittle my own experience. And yeah, people have it harder, but I also have it hard. I mean, even I jokingly talking about the 70 dogs that speak English thing, I have baked into my, like the way that I process feelings is to discount my own experiences. Uh, and I think that that's probably not actually the way we should be living life. Like, if you have an experience, you should give space, like, mentally, intellectually, for there are people who have life harder than I do. But you can 
complain. I don't know. But then I guess the question becomes if someone very rightly is like, hey, I've been oppressed and dealing with racism, sexism, uh, homophobia, or bigotry all my life. So I have much more valid reasons to be miserable than you do. I don't have a good comeback for that because they're right. What if I reveal that I was uh, made fun of for my sexuality falsely? Oh, I mean, I was too. Uh, I was, I was, I was made fun of for my. I, I think a lot of kids go through that. I was made fun of for my weight, sexuality, my mental ability. Uh, uh Jesus, uh, like a lot of people experience that, but like, it, it's yeah, it's different when it's falsely attributed rather than like, no, that's you. That's your identity that they are singling you out for. Yeah, absolutely. Because like, if the world is telling you that the thing that makes you feel like vibrant and and effervescent and alive is, is a thing that's like deserves ridicule. Then that is like objectively a worse life experience by the exogenous factors of society than the ones that I will experience, which are still bad. It's tough. It's really difficult to like marry the ideas of, we're all just about as miserable as each other. And some people have way more valid reasons for being miserable. And we want to eliminate those where we can. uh, So we can all be like miserable about having good opportunities. (laughs) Right. It's not about, yeah, I get it. It's not about eliminating misery. It's because we can't do that. (laughs) We're going to make sure we're all miserable on the same footing. So, you know, we're not miserable because, society is rejecting who we are we're miserable because the modern ways of making society are 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 breeding farms for misery because capitalism is a flawed system that all it does is exploit workers for those who own the work and there's no there's no way to be happy under that system and this is about the time where i feel like someone should cut me off i mean it's 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 true because like If we live in a society where someone is the same amount of miserable because they can't work a fun downtown job that's next to their favorite fucking smash burger pop-up or whatever, if they are the same level as miserable as someone who is, like, having the life choked out of their family by capitalism or experiencing homelessness or being killed by the police, like, we have to have the space and grace to be, like, that misery may be equal, though it's most likely, like, actually quite a bit worse. But we have to be like, we can both be miserable, but ideally we live in a society where we're both miserable that our downtown job isn't next to our favorite Smashburger pop-up, because that's a better kind of misery to have. It's like being full of sand when you're hungry versus being full of smash burger. Like the <laughs> sensation's the same, but we can all admit that one is better. I hear what you're saying. Well, I guess thank you for the wake up call a little bit. Well, you're well, I didn't realize that I was I was doing a wake up call. I don't know. Well, no, if you listen to what I was complaining about, you know, you're giving me perspective that uh, other people have more not more valid things to be miserable about, but um, bigger things that speak more to their identity rather than more th- more of like what their job is. And they have to deal with it every single day of their lives, not just weekdays. 
Yeah. And it's not like having this con, this is where it becomes hard because it's not like having this conversation is going to make either of us feel better. Right. The, the and, only and, and, thing I mean, it can do is make us work harder for the people who have the worst reasons to feel miserable than we well, do. I got my shot, John. What else do you want me to do? I mean, that's doing a lot. It hurt for a second. No, I'm not complaining about the shot at all. I, I would gladly be vaccinated again. I mean, you're going to be. Uh, yeah, I am. I, uh, did you want I, to talk uh, about, uh, since this is the only other thing, in our, I don't know that I ever talked about being vaccinated on the podcast. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. I got vaccinated today. I got the Moderna shot. It took about 20 minutes. I had to show them an email on my phone that confirmed I did have an appointment. And then a lady called me a little prick. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Very good. Classic. (laughs) Then she had the gall to write her name on a form that said that she pricked me. Yeah. Now, a lot of people think this might be a joke where she said, you're going to feel a little prick and you like misheard her. And she said, you're a little prick. But no, she uncapped the needle, (laughs) looked at you and said, I'm going to inoculate you, you little prick. The funny thing is, um, all she said, I swear, I might be misremembering, um, but all she said, she was this like little prick. And then she (laughs) stabbed Oh, no. in that moment trying not to laugh because it's like <laughs> I know what she meant and obviously that's what she she meant you're gonna feel uh, you know the, the the needle in your arm <laughs> it was, uh, no context a different lady was talking to me about like other things and she's like put your arm up little prick stab <laughs> <laughs> put your arm up little prick <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Surreal to my head was spinning, you know, again with anxiety and also with like now I've got this shot in me and they both asked me two times if I'm allergic to any medications to make my throat close. And I'm like, I don't actually know that. Oh. I mean, the, the way that I treat any medical procedure, especially when they ask about the whole like throat close allergic reaction anaphylaxis thing is I just say I've never had one because the only way to do that is to rush blindly ahead until you do have one. You know, that's, that's really good advice. I'll say I've never had one. And then they will be like little prick, (laughs) (laughs) little prick. And then you go into anaphylaxis and then you die having the last words you heard being someone calling you a little prick. So a really funny thing, I'll let you tell your story after this, because after this, I'll have nothing. Um, so uh, Martha called me a little prick and stabbed my arm. Uh-huh. And and then you're like, you know, just follow the cards in front of you to the, the next part and uh, give them this, this form and you'll be processed and you'll be out. Yeah. And I get to the, uh, the, the you know, the... The booth at the end of the lane after like 15 minutes, they timed it very appropriately because like like the 15 minutes, it's like you're waiting, doing that waiting period to see if you have a reaction while you're trying to get to the end of the line to get processed. And like, that's really smart Mm -hmm. Um, because like you're doing one part while you're doing the other part. Um, But I get to the second booth and the, the lady there is like, the more you move your arm now, the better you'll be later. You should be moving it now. And I was like, okay, I'm just sitting there moving my arms. Like, I just sat for 15 minutes waiting to get to you. Why didn't you, why didn't they tell me move your arm as much as possible? Yeah, I never heard the move your arm thing. 
who knows if it's true. Maybe it was just a, cause like I wasn't, I was like, my arm was tense. I wasn't moving it at all. Maybe she saw that and she was just trying to tell me, loosen up a little, you know? Yeah. Loosen up, live a little, you little prick. You little prick. I, uh, both of my vaccine appointments took about an hour and a half. Uh, Jesus. Yeah. Much, much less efficient. It sounds like. Uh, I think the only thing really worth talking about is the interactions I had, because uh, I didn't have a little prick moment. Uh, the first one I had, uh, which was in Georgetown, uh, was I rolled up, and then they gave me the usual inoculation thing, like, you're going to feel a little pinch, haha, whatever. And uh, she gave me the shot... And then took the needle out and then said, didn't even need a Band-Aid. And then I was saying, oh, wow, really? But I didn't finish. I was like, oh, wow. And then she said, you're a muscular guy, aren't you? And then I said, uh, well, I, and I was trying to like, you know how people like catch you off guard when yeah. you're already saying something? I was trying to like formulate a response and she said, please pull forward. Uh <laughs> It was very Get awkward, out. and Get I st- I still because I never managed to finish a sentence to this healthcare worker. <laughs> I, I I still think about it, and then the oh, and then the other person I pulled forward, and it was just a guy who said, uh, "Please pull forward to the observation lounge." <laughs> uh, was yours in the car? Was yours all in the car? Yeah, it was all in the car. Yeah, mine was drive through as well, and they said, please pull through the observation lounge, which was just a parking lot. Right. Um, and then... They're, they're like, to your my, horn if you have a reaction. I rolled my window down, and this older lady s- screamed, honk your horn if you go to anaphylactic shock. <laughs> and I was like, got it. <laughs> and uh, I closed my window. And then the second time, uh, which was in Round Rock... Uh, really get your act together, curative, having people get their shot in two different places. Uh, this time, typical pre-inoculation, you're going to feel a little pinch, haha. And then she pulled the needle out and proceeded to drop it in my car. <laughs> and she oh, said, no. oops, there it goes. Oh. And I was like very awkward. I was like, do I just drive? Is it my property now? <laughs> like... <laughs> I had this whole Oops. thing where I was like, if I get Oops. stabbed in the arm, do I get to keep it? Oops, and there it goes. She looked flustered. So I started to open the door and she said, no, no, no. I'm going to open your car door. And I was like, but I was just opening, opening it. my car door for you. And then I saw where it landed. She didn't. And then she opened my car door and started like frantically searching. I was like, it was just there. And I started to point towards it. She was like, no, no, don't touch it. <laughs> and that was that was very awkward and then that, she that sounds very awkward that's insane and then she got the needle out and then oops there it I, goes and then i pulled for it i almost had a free syringe which would have been pretty sweet <laughs> um can just go to then, a store <laughs> and then she put a band-aid on it but she's an amateur and she didn't know i'm a pretty muscular guy <laughs> <laughs> um and then i pulled forward to the observation lounge uh, at the Dell Diamond, and there was someone like milling around, going up to car doors to make sure people understood the rules, and just rolled my car window down. And I was like, "I got it, honk my car horn if I go into anaphylactic shock." And and she was 
maximum two feet away from my window and she screamed i don't understand what you're saying (laughs) and then walked away amazing Uh, so i rolled my window up and then i just stayed there for 15 minutes and now i'm fully inoculated it's been uh over a week so i'm mostly immune Good, good. In one more week, you will have the full effect of the booster, and yes. you'll be able to uh, uh, deflect COVID. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it'll bounce off of you. You know, it's like it's great. I've been waiting so long to be able to parry COVID, but now that I can, now that I can parry COVID, it unlocks a lot of really cool combos I can do on the coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, um, and then, uh, yeah, you're. You had first shot. I'm excited to hear how you feel second day. I was tired, but I usually feel that way after a flu shot. And the second shot murdered me and killed me. Yeah, I hear that. I hear the second shot's really bad. Um, I just had a stray thought. If I could circle back to my story, uh, yeah, I want to sprinkle a little more grain of truth. And to be honest, like this would be in my stand-up set, except nobody would ever want to hear it. Uh huh. The full range of events that happened one lady was telling me things and you know like asking me where i was you know what county i was from martha comes up says put your arm why did you say that name (laughs) put your arm up little prick stabs me and i immediately go ooh. (laughs) (laughs) oh no the worst thing you could possibly do little prick she like stabs me let's go oh (laughs) (laughs) oh no totally involuntary kind of like the john mulaney bit but it's just like (laughs) i was just like yes i feel this thing stabbing me (laughs) oh little prick Ooh, (laughs) that's gonna be the thing they want least of all she yeah, I drove away and she was like, "What the fuck was that?" <laughs> she drove away. She was shaking her head even though you, she had a mask on. You could see she was mouthing little prick. <laughs> and then the other lady was like, "Now honk if you go into anaphylactic shock." <laughs> and I was like, "I can't hear a word you're saying." <laughs> and then you just honked your you honked your horn and you went, "Ooh." <laughs> The scary thing is somebody actually honked their horn in the line next to me. And like somebody, the weird thing was like they honked their horn and everyone drove up at the same time. So then the the volunteer was like walking down the row and she like, she got to a car and she like got to the guy and you're like, did you honk your horn? And he was like, yeah. And then I couldn't hear what they said. And she's like, well, why don't you, you go through the middle and then you go over there. And he like drove away and they disappeared. I don't know where they went. The uh, the second time, there was no incident in my first visit to the observation lounge. Uh, on the second visit, someone honked their car horn and they, like, got out of their car and went to a little tent uh, where I assume they were shown a video about the uh, benefits of Bill Gates and uh, the <laughs> Gates Foundation and 5G. Uh, but, yeah, that was... You know, it's interesting getting a highly experimental mRNA drug injected into you because you do truly trust it and believe in it. And you're willing to take the risks if it means living your life to some degree of normalcy again. But to be honest, it's a little scary because you're sitting there and you're like, what if I die? Yeah, no, like... And it happens so quickly. Like you get you get little pricked, and then it's just like that's just in me now. Like if I'm gonna have a reaction, 
it's just going to happen. Like, I, it is out of my control. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of have this... It, it used to be much worse, but I I basically have like a medical phobia about altering my body. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I hear this, that. This was really true when I was a kid. Like fillings, like really horrified me. Anything that like changed my body around really scared me. And now I'm I'm largely over it. And now I'm like I'm just sitting in line, basically like I'm getting fast food and getting my like RNA altered. <laughs> So, like, obviously I'm over that fear. Yeah, which is good. You know, if this vaccine works, I feel like it's going to unlock a lot of other vaccines that kind of, not you know, feed, function in a similar manner where it's not your body fighting off like a defunct version of the virus. But, uh, like, this is going to make it impossible for the thing to bond to your body in the way that it bonds to reproduce itself. That's tight as hell. Yeah, like when someone described the flu vaccine basically being dead flu cells suspended in a chicken ova, I was like, is that how we're still doing it? Yeah. Is that really what we got going on? And then apparently, like, all these companies had, like, mRNA vaccines that could teach your RNA to replicate viruses potentially forever. I'm like, give me that one. Give, Give me the science one. Here's what I've heard. I've heard when the SARS outbreak happened about 10 years ago, um, you know, you know, COVID's like a, a strain of SARS or it's at least related. So they just kept working on like a SARS vaccine that would work, that works in this way with the mRNA bonding. And so why one of the reasons why this vaccine came out so quickly was because they've been working on it all this time. They just had to adapt it not to SARS, but to COVID. Yeah, they already had done most of the work. Which is phenomenal and why we should fund science. Because it turns out science can can stop problems before their problems or they can stop problems quickly. Like, just fund science. Yeah, science is great. And then, of course, you can have, uh, you know, millions of people who believe that the vaccine only existed so quickly because it's a microchip or whatever the fuck. Yeah, and uh, 5G. You know, 5G was the reason why we all got sick. It's not important to talk about those people. People in England actually, like, burned down, like, cell towers. Oh, yeah. the uh, Once again, we talked about this once on the podcast. And uh, once Insane. again, to share uh, Uncle John's holistic remedy, holistic plant-based remedy, the only way to cure 5G poisoning is to smoke 500 cigarettes in an hour. You heard it from Uncle John here. <laughs> uh, if you're someone who believes that 5G can infect your body and make you sick, smoke 500 cigarettes in one hour. Uh, to cure the 5G poisoning. Parody. Parody. And I feel like with that, the only thing left to do is to say, look, get vaccinated yourself and keep wearing that mask. Even though you only got one, like if you got one shot, that's great. You can still get it. You're not by any means immune. And other people can get it. So just wear the mask, get vaccinated, And let's curb this COVID to the coast of reality, which is to say, let the metaphor left. That's right. I'm right here to agree with Henry, fully vaxxed and fully waxed. Let's fucking party.
Let's do it. And if you want to party with us, all you got to do is get at us on that social media. We got tons of social media. We don't just got one. We're not communists. <laughs> what? We, we have multiple kinds of social media? John, let me tell you real quick the different ways that our fans can listen to us and help us celebrate 10,000 downloads. Uh, number one being you can get at us on Twitter.com at ZCPCWHJ. And John knows what that stands for. That's right. That stands for get the vaccine if that, no. you if you think – like, I get that some people wouldn't get it due to a lack of long-term studies, but that should be the minority of people. You should probably get vaccinated so we can all kiss. That's right. We can't wait to kiss you. Also, if you want to send us a longer diatribe about puppies or job interviews or, or getting the COVID vaccine, we are here for you. Send us an email to email at zerocredits.net. That's email at zerocredits.net. We want to read your personal essays. We'll publish them on our Medium account. We don't have a Medium account, whatever. We are also, where are we, John? We're on Spotify. You can find us in the Spotify section of Spotify. (laughs) Zero credit, open parenthesis, close parenthesis on Spotify. Uh, That's where a lot of our listeners and fans tend to find us, and we thank you very much for listening to us on Spotify. However, we're also on Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, that'll help us out. And maybe review us on Podchaser, whatever the hell that is. If you can go to Podchaser and review us, maybe that's good. I don't know. There's so many websites about podcasts these days, it's hard to keep up. Uh, but the most important thing you can do is uh, go to our website at zerocredits.net, visit us there. We got tons of things called episodes that you can listen to on your browser or on your browser. But also the most important thing you can do is spread your love of the podcast with that mouth of yours behind a mask. Word of the mouth is the only way we can survive. So tell people to listen to us, we got 10,000 d- downloads, and we want to get another 10,000 by the time John and I get a new job. That's right. And while you were reading that, I got a push notification, thanks to my Google Pixel, uh, for the article, Ben Affleck's Chaotic Batman Workout and Diet Plan, uh, by the website ManForce. Uh, so just to give you a, one last little life hack, his second meal of the day is egg whites, oatmeal, a banana, and flaxseed oil. I intend to eat that for every meal of my six meals of the day until I'm yoked and choked. And from everyone here at the Zero Credits Podcasting Studios, that felt exceptionally tame. Uh, from everyone here at the Zero Credits, I don't know uh nautical studios like we're in a little fucking a little fucking like we're in a little fucking water base we'd like to wish you a happy week how did you not say two dog two job studio two dog two job we got two dogs we got two jobs potentially we definitely yeah. have two dogs let me tell you about it i have this dog i got this Whoa. dog you want to hear about it you want to hear a whole sleep. podcast about hey, it? hey hey henry henry i have a dog <laughs> I have a listen. 
Listen, I have oh, a dog. Are you treating me like a dog? I have a dog and he doesn't have a nose. Oh, shit. No, I have a dog and he doesn't have a nose, Henry. What are you what are you saying? I have a dog and he doesn't have a nose. And you what? say What do I say? How does he blank? How does he smell? Terrible! <laughs> Goodbye! Jesus Christ.